You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be here today. I'm always happy. This is my thing, my place, my zone. Today we're joined by John Bush, who is very experienced in the art department, set dresser, uh, set decorator, production designer on some indie stuff. He's done everything from indie shorts to monstrously large, big-budget studio films, uh, Spider-Man, Pain and Gain, Transformers. There's His filmography is so long, there's no way we could possibly get into it, but all of it, but we're going to ju- do what we can today. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you, Paul. Great to be here. Appreciate it so much. We'll just jump into it. Um, okay. We'll start with, I, I saw you did Murder in the First and Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and these films were so, you know, we'll use this as a leeway, just if you could tell us quickly what your take is on a set dresser. Yeah, a set dresser essentially works for the set decorator and the lead man or lead person. And they kind of fulfill, you know, our vision. So they'll physically go to the prop house and pick up the, the roll of carpet and the sofa and then based on the floor plan that we've created they'll place the furniture where it belongs rough it in as we call it until i get there and then i'll place things specifically where they need to be oh wow so in the case of interview of the vampire that was a period piece that we spanned you know many decades and uh the big set i was doing was was on the mississippi river and it was building uh you know an 1840s town that we had to bring to life so that was above and beyond what you usually do so if i'm if i'm following this correctly the set dresser you're not making decisions about what goes there is this the specific guy who makes the props get there and places them is did i take that right it is it is but as an individual set dresser you also need to think about what the character might need uh you might through what the designer or the decorator tells you might know that that character is left-handed female you know so that would be the way you would organize the desk so it makes sense for the character now a set dresser doesn't know every individual piece or every individual character that's my job and so i will impart with them what the scene is what we're trying to accomplish and i'll get their take on it because i want to have a little bit of individuality on each set so it doesn't look like one person decorated everything so I, it, having that input of individuals how to solve a certain problem is very helpful to the overall process. Wow, that is so – I mean, I remember – of course, we've all – you know, when you're younger, younger, you see movie credits and you just don't think about how that many people go into it. But I was really thinking, like, I'll, I'll jump to this just because I actually heard, hadn't heard the position before, mm-hmm. so I'm so interested to hear your take on it. Um, and not to, like, digress too much, but you were the swing gang boss – and it said you did this on Nixon. Hmm. And I just was, I kind of wanted to just really hear, we're, I'm not going to go into political stuff, but what it was like to work on a film so massive. Hmm. And if you just want to say what that job is, just briefly, I mean, I won't do this for everything you've ever Sure. Uh, well, one of my jobs on, on Nixon was we were addressing the White House uh, set. We had, uh, we had inherited a lot of the White House set from uh, Dave. But then we were doing our own spin on it. We made it wider. We added ceilings. But it was a different era. 
So I had um, a Time magazine that basically was the tour that Jackie Kennedy gave, and it showed where everything was placed. And so I'd work with the set dressers and say, okay, move that picture up a little bit. It goes there. And that's how we, we decorated the White House. <laughs> oh, my. So uh, do you, just quickly, do you have an Oliver Stone story, or is that that's for a story for another Ooh, time? Uh, well, <laughs> James Wood, I think, described it well. He said uh, acting for Oliver Stone is like acting in a mosh pit. <laughs> that's great yeah so I think that's true he was um, yeah Bob Richardson was the DP on that and they didn't always see eye to eye and uh, oh, right. yeah so there was conflict on set and uh, luckily you know the, the team of actors we had especially led by uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins we just couldn't have been better people and kind people and you know the, Oliver you know Stone would create tension and then Anthony Hopkins would do Hannibal Lecter for us between takes and make things lighter <laughs> on the set and was always good morning and shake everybody's hand and a, a true professional gentleman. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, I, anybody I've ever known that's that I've interviewed that worked with him is just like mastermind. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. You would, he would, he would joke between takes and then they'd say they were ready for him. And he'd say, excuse me, gentlemen. And his body would change, his gaze would change. He would stare right through you like he didn't know you anymore. And he would become Richard Nixon. Oh, my gosh. What a character to be. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long. So I was watching the other day and I just, I got to find out what how, how they designed this White House. Yeah. Dave set. That's interesting. I love that movie. Such an underrated film. Yeah. Let's see. So uh, we were talking about set dressing. So mm -hmm. the natural progression. Uh, so I'm understanding and you're going set dress writer or set dresser to set decorator? It is for some. There's there's some people that, that will work for 30 years as a set dresser and, and really found that's the niche they found that they like. Uh, right. Some people become gang bosses. Some people become lead. Uh, a lead person is basically, say, a set decorator is the composer of the symphony. Well, you might consider the lead like the conductor. They keep all the balls in the air. And I did that for years and years because uh, somebody needs to be really highly organized and a really good problem solver. But the problem with being a lead person is you don't physically dress the sets anymore. There's just not time to do that. So you, you don't, you're not as creative as you are. And I really missed that. And so I had become a position where I was working for some big decorators where I would take over sets and control sets for them if they were, let's say, in the case of Transformers, our decorator, we were in four different states. And so, you know, or in the case of Last Transformer, I'm sorry, uh, Last Samurai, um, you know, I was in New Zealand while the decorator was in the U.S. So I would really decorate those sets basically not in name but in practice and send them images and they would say do this or do that. And so I started to get my first real wow. taste of what it was to be a decorator without all the pressure and the, and the meetings. And I really love that aspect of it, bringing a set together organically. And um, so I did that for you know a, a number of big projects. And then when I was offered a, a position of a set decorator, I decided to go ahead and go for it and, and take that chance. Because with the way my union works, as soon as I become a decorator, I can't go back to leading anymore. So oh, it was it was like creating a whole new career for myself. Wow, so that would be like if you were a, like so if you were like a second AD, you could mm -hmm. never be a PA again. Is that kind of like the metaphor? Uh, it'd be more like if you 
No, it'd be more like if you were a first AD and you decided you couldn't go back and be a second AD ever. You, that's oh, all okay, you could do. Okay. That's all you could do. Wow. And so Last Samurai, I mean, <laughs> so you're you're kind of dipping into that for the first time mm-hmm. on such a monstrous movie. That must have just been exhilarating. Yeah, I was there. I was in New Zealand six months before the, the decorator arrived. So we were, you know, I had a big crew of laborers and uh, craftspeople and everything into the village set. That was one of my big sets we brought in. Um, we had Mari. Uh, people carving stones for us and we made our own fences and we put a live loom that worked together and you know everything from the position of where all the houses were were decided by myself and Jess Goncher the uh, art director and so we really brought this this village to life and that was back before the internet wasn't the internet wasn't what it is now so we had basically books in Japanese that I'd have to look at the pictures and figure out how to reverse engineer the mochis and the things that you would use uh, for a rice harvest. We, we grew five hectares of barley because it looked very much like rice to do a harvest. So it was, the scale was pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. I just remember the first time I saw that movie, it was just so epic. I mean, obviously, but just saw it in a little theater on Kauai and uh-huh. it was like, you just yeah I don't know I, I, just, I always think of that movie is it's like every time I see it I'm just like why do I not watch this more often Yeah, it uh, I, yeah. That's do you, do you have, so so if you're getting to oversee this and place things mm-hmm. so that leads me to probably the most cliche question I've ever had but do you have something that's like your most exciting moment of you're just into a film or you're trying to do that you don't know you were there that day and whatever was going on but you're just so proud that you placed that. Do you have like a shining moment if you had to like tell me one that is cool to you? Well, yeah, there's, there's, you know, what's, what's rewarding is when you, you really know the material well and uh, you've done your research, you feel like you know these characters. And so you feel like when you're walking through a prop house or a thrift store or antique store, that, that the character would have that particular piece of furniture and it just makes sense. And there was a particular time I was working with Matthew McConaughey on White Boy Rick. And in an earlier version of the script, he has a sister. He references it in the final cut of the film. But she had OD'd, and she was an artist. And, you know, and he had talked all about her. Well, one of the things he had to do was, because of the, where he lived, he had to cross the street every day and go into the home of his parents where his sister OD'd and see that house. So what I thought to do would to be a reference point to make that come home is I found a um, an artist who was about the same age and era of his sister in the story, and I obtained her art where she even did a self portrait, and so I created a shrine in the entry to the house. So every time the character had to walk through, he had to see that and be reminded of that. And wow. and when Matthew, I showed him the set, he walked through and he looked at it one. He just looked at it for one second. He goes, Caroline. And I said, yes, absolutely. So he got it. And then he was like, he looked at the ceiling and in the real story, she had she had vomited profusely when she died. And so I made sure there was a little bit of remnants left on the ceiling where that happened. And it just really helped him create an environment to work. And so that's to me is the most rewarding when you find that the actor can come on set 360, they're in that environment, they can become that character. And that's, that's my job is to create that for them and for the director. 
Wow. Well, that I so that that brings me to, I I was just about to ask, but you gave the perfect setup. Uh, how far in advance do you see the script? Because you're if you were saying six months with Last Samurai, I mean, where are you? Where do you fall in that? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, features, you know, usually you're when you're offered the job, they send you the script and you read it then, and there'll be different incarnations. So, you know, with the epic size of Last Samurai, um, yeah, we I before we start, I had nine months, I think, from when I started the film to when we filmed my first set. Um, so that's unusual. Usually, it's less time than that. The usual is about twelve weeks before you start filming, twelve to fifteen. Um, okay. In the case of TV, what I'm doing now is you will not have the whole season arc when you start. You'll have a couple of scripts. So that makes it interesting. You're getting scripts as you shoot your previous episodes. So that's that creates its own set of challenges. So just real quick, this this white boy Rick thing, yeah. like you said, you were walking around the set. Where does where does the job start and stop on? In terms of like, if you came up with that and then say, I mean, obviously, if the director wanted it, it would mm -hmm. be vanished. But sure, is there like a point where you know it's going to get in? Not like a ha ha ha, I snuck this in, but like, what's kind of that? Oh, like you, like when yeah. would you be walking around with Matthew McConaughey? Is what I mean. I did that in pre-production before the first day of filming in that particular location. So he oh, okay. came to set, and I showed him his house set. And, you know, there was a, there's a scene where he's building silencers. So I made sure he had oh, a yeah. working lathe, period lathe, that actually worked. I had a technician to show him how to work the lathe properly and safely so that he could, he could own the action. And so he wanted to spend some time with that so he knew exactly how to do this, how he could do his own gunsmithy work. Huh. Uh, I also showed the director the set. And then it, what's interesting is we had a... a a really kind of a non-actor kid who played the white boy Rick character. Um, and so I made sure that every drawer every, in his room was filled with period stuff that a boy his age would have, you know, um, right. and every trophy had his name, character's name on it. So he would really uh -huh. feel like this was his room. And so it, he was just, it, it helped him become the character, I believe. You're making me wonder why my shoes are always in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to like look around and be like, you know what? That's always there. Does it really need to be there? I yeah. Sorry. Right, right. Um, like you know, they say really great actors are really good observers of humans, right. and that's what I try to do in my job as well. You know, um, you're always looking at people's homes, and you're like wondering, you know, because not everything always makes sense. And there's family heirlooms and there's things that don't fit right because they were moved from the previous place. So all those right. things come in. And I think my other particular strength is, is I'm not really, I don't care about interior design. I'm not into that, the beauty of it. That, that's, it's, it's more to me being like uh, an archaeologist, you know, someone that's discovering who these people are. So coming at it from the character, not the not necessarily like you're saying, you're, you don't want to design a mm. room. You're not you're not the one that's sitting with the people at, in, in your home, apartment, whatever, saying, "Oh, this has got to be here and right. reflect this." Oh, wow, that's no, interesting. That doesn't interest me at all. Interior design does not really. I mean, I appreciate it, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing something completely different. Well, because White Boy Rick, mm -hmm. um, I was I was really intrigued by it because it was in, it, in different cities. So you were you were doing this in some in all the different cities that they went to. Well, we were supposed to. Uh, we actually shot ninety nine percent of that in Cleveland, standing in for Detroit. 
So we did. Sorry that you had to be in Cleveland. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we did one day of exteriors in Detroit, and then we did travel to uh, Las Vegas. That was its own okay. craziness. Uh, and then <laughs> one day in Miami, and they cut that. But um, yeah, that was. Uh, well, they were going for the crazy. I mean, because I, I was like, I what I was most intrigued by, and I, I love that you said this overdose and what happens when people overdose on the roof because. I love my favorite kind of film is when I'm just seeing a world that I know I'll never be in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, I, I can tell you, I know I'll never deal drugs, guns. <laughs> right. So it's like, I just, I really could appreciate that. It was like, what did they do? Like a production, we had a DP on, she built mm -hmm. strip club sets. So uh -huh. I was like, how often were you hanging out in strip clubs? Like as a woman mm -hmm. at 70, mm -hmm. what is that like? So, um, are you involved with like Tech Scout and? Oh yeah. Or do you, so okay. So you're you're all the way to Tech Scout, and so do you do you have any kind of your take on? Oh, this would make a great pimp house, or do you, like? Yeah, I mean, we'll usually the job of finding locations is is the location scout and the production designer. That's a really big job of the production designer is to select locations that work, that are practical to shoot in. Um, that can work with our budget, that can work with our time frame. And a lot of times, too, locations are picked because of their proximity to another location. So schedule-wise, you need to do all this work, and then you need to bounce out and do a, a shot at a convenience store. Well, you try to schedule that so there's a convenience store as close to this other main location as possible. So it's not always just picking the perfect location. A lot of times it's just to fit with the production schedule. Uh, okay. Company yeah. moves. Correct. All that wonderful stuff. Correct. That, well. I've been to Cleveland and Detroit, Detroit or Cleveland more extensively, but I, I have to say, I, I don't know, at the time before it was cleaned up, Detroit was more ghetto to me. Only place I've ever been where I was actually nervous. Yeah. So um, I loved what you did with that. So you said archaeologist, and that was something I was looking for the word because as I was writing notes here, I was kind of realizing you're just kind of more interested in everything May, or, okay, are you more interested just in everything than necessarily the film job? Hmm. Well, I think that's why I like the film work because it, it's you learn something. Every job is so different from the last. It's never – unless you're doing a TV series where you're three camera or one of those. If you're doing movies, or it's everything is new. So it's a new area you need to learn about and become an expert. When, when we were doing Lucy in the Sky, I had to learn all about – uh, the shuttle procedure codes for entry and exit and for orbiting and how the ISS International Space Station worked, how to, how did it come together, you know? Um, so, and then the next job is, is different. So that's what I love about it is that you're, you're constantly learning, educating yourself. Uh, you get to do a lot of historical research. The project I'm presently shooting is about the uh, Showtime era Lakers. So almost all the major characters have written autobiographies, so I've got to read those, and I know what their childhood was like. And I get to express that then in the items they have in their home. Wow. Now, do you get to go, do you, I mean, this is just geeky me, because I'm yeah. such a music fan, too. Do you get to go, like, hang out at the forum, and, like, have you had to do that? Well, the forum doesn't really exist in the same form it did in, in our era. It's been completely right, redone. Right. So we did go and look and see what was left, and there's not much to, to really go on. So it's more uh, okay. spending a lot of time on Getty Images and, you know, going through um, old broadcasts 
to to recreate those sets. Ah, uh, I see. Because I I've just I grew up with the Showtime Lakers mm-hmm. with my grandpa and. So I just have always been like attached to the forum and then going to concerts and my mom would go to concerts when she was in like, you know, and so it's just kind of like a family thing. It's Mm -hmm. like three. So I just was like, oh, try not to geek out about the forum. So Lucy in the Sky, of course, a space movie. Mm -hmm. So did you get to like go not hang out, but spend time at the Johnson Space Center and at Cape Canaveral and uh, was it just- I did go to NASA actually uh, I did some I was there and I, I toured the facilities and at the time we weren't uh, we didn't have a deal with NASA so I had to go as a private citizen um, uh, I was able to tour JPL and some other facilities um, uh, through the work for the job but the, you know the rest of that was uh, just it's amazing what's out there you know, you can go online right now onto NASA and you can download the entry codes, the exit codes, the whole pamphlet of what a shuttle astronaut actually has permission. It's out there. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> what they did. And you just realize that everything they do up there is so orchestrated by the numbers. They have a checklist from the second they wake up to the moment they go to bed. That's all they're doing. And they're not really, right. there's very little time you would think for goofing around and observing. It's just your task is filled every day with a checklist. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't like heights on a regular <laughs> airplane. So, you know, everyone's like, but it's different. I'm like, yeah, it's way scarier. Yeah. And you're moving way faster. Way, and yeah. 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 I don't know. Like, does, um, so like, what was something that made you want to do that movie? Like, aside from obvious, I mean, throwing aside that it's, you know, a cool gig, what mm-hmm. brings you into a film? Do you have a little checklist? Uh, I do. It's, it's you know, uh, do you want to spend about a year of your life on this project? You know, <laughs> that's one of them because, you know, you better like the material because you're going to be dealing with it every day. Um, right. You know, a lot of the people are who who are you working with? You know, who, you know, right. do you like that was uh, Stefania Cella, who I've worked with before, and she's really great. Uh, she had, she was the designer on um, Great Beauty and some uh, she did uh, Downsizing. So it was really great to work with her. Um, yeah. And I'd also worked with Noah Hawley. So I'd worked with her on both White Boy Rick and Downsizing as well. So it was another opportunity to work with her again. Um, and, and growing up as a kid in Houston, not far from Johnson Space Center, you know, I get to play astronaut for a year. So it was like, <laughs> how cool is that? I get to learn. I say, from Houston. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it made sense. Also, it was set uh, primarily in Houston. So I thought I could bring something to the project as well. Um, You know, I had known a couple of, you know, families of astronauts as a kid. So I thought I I had a good grasp of the material and I could bring something to the project. That's really cool as a kid from Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had been mentioning these locations. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to jump into stages, but is, is there something... I mean, always other than obvious, is there something specific to stage and practical locations that you either like or don't like about your gig? Well, I personally like location work a little bit better because you have to adapt to an environment or to a location. And that always brings to surprises and possible solutions versus a stage work is usually drawn up, planned out. And, you know, it can be great, too. But there's not that organicness that you find when you're shooting on location, in in my experience. I see. But the but are most of the specifics can be the same? Like, 
you're not really changing like a different way of doing it, right? No, well, it's it's more challenging. I mean, it's it's more work working on location. Um, stages are, are usually a lot easier because part of our when you go to a location, the very first thing you have to do is clear out everything that doesn't belong. So in the case of White Boy Rick, uh, Rick Wershey's house, the main character, those people, the location, they happen to be hoarders. So okay. we couldn't even walk through the house hardly to scout it. But the location was so great because it looked at the – through Ricky's window, you could see his grandparents' house. And it worked right at there. the street and everything else worked. And so we decided to go for it. And so you know, having to deal with the holding – a little bit of hand-holding with the homeowner who was actually – had hoarder tendencies and we had to clear out their entire house um, wow. was a great challenge just to even get started. And then – then you actually, after all that was done, after a two-week process, you could actually look at the house and see what was really there and what you had to work with. So that would be oh, – that's order. a lot more challenging than if you had built that stage on set and you – by the time we got there, the, you know, the walls have been put in place. They're painted. The hard carpeting's in, and then we just do our thing on top of it. So you, know, you might discover a piece or two from the homeowner that would really work for your set, and so you get to incorporate that into it. Or the way the pipes are existing, you know, you have to work around that to hang your light fixture. So it, it creates, uh, I think, just a, a better sense of reality. Do Do you have a like that as a perfect leeway into that you're? Um, so like with countdown, mm -hmm. really, I, I I liked that a lot because I felt like it could have like that kind of movie can be slow cliche, mm -hmm. and. I really, I mean, it was kind of spooky, especially now with what's going on in the world. But was were those practical locations, or was that a stage? Uh, it was a combination. It was a lot of stage work. Um, the thing about Countdown, it was a very low budget movie. It, uh, we didn't have, uh, you know, much money at all to work with. So we shot we shot at the stages where they they did Teen Wolf to the <laughs> TV series. So they did have an existing yeah. hospital there, and they had a high school. And they had some homes. And so with our budget, we were so strapped, we had to use those locations. And luckily, we had a really creative designer, Clayton Hartley, who he and I could figure out how we could make the most of what was there, what we could work with, along with the, the director, Justin Deck. And we were able to put together from what we had and then augment that with the, the few items we, we rented or bought. Because, like I said, it was a very low-budget film. So, um, yeah, the exteriors were on location, but all the, I'd say 90% of the interiors were on stage. But it, uh, like, was that, it wasn't, it wasn't indie, correct, or was it? It was not, no, it was, a, it was a union film, it was what they call a tier one, which is the, you know, uh, I think we were under, we were two million, I think, overall, so, yeah. Under two million. Yeah. Okay, so is it is that something that you can explain? Because I've I, I'm always in, I'm always kind of interested in that. What I remember going back to where it seemed like so much if you got a million for your movie, right? So right. Well, it's when yeah. I hear some people go, "Oh, we only had fifteen million. It's like, um, okay, yeah. Um, there so. there is a what they call a tiered system. So there's the basic contract with IATSE, um, in, in Los Angeles at least, 
And within that, that basic contract applies to films that are a certain budget and above. And I don't know what that figure is off the top of my head. Oh, okay. I think it's probably in the, the $20 million range would be a standard basic feature. Everything in there and above would be considered the basic contract. Below that budget line, they have a tiered system. So the rates of pay that everybody gets paid is a little less. They might pay you less benefits, but it's still a union project. So this was the very low end of that scale where it was still a union project. They still paid our actors SAG. You know, they paid DGA. They paid, you know, all the different unions unions and guilds. But it was at the lower end of the pay scale. And it was a really quick shoot, too. It was five weeks. And so it's like, okay, you know, I want to work with this um, designer. And it's close to home. And the script's fun. I've never done a horror film. You know, it's only a couple of months of my life. Let's bang it out and have fun. So that's what we did. Oh, okay. I, because I know, I was on a PA one something one time, and they said, "Oh, we're, we're just so strapped for cash," and they had ten million, and I and everybody earns it and deserves it. But mm-hmm. I thought, it uh, uh, when I think low budget, I don't think crab and lobster for lunch. You know, like right. maybe I'm just from a different world. But so that's really interesting. Thanks for explaining that. So, yeah. countdown. Um, okay, so that was stages and practical locations. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. I, okay, so you talked about your love of just studying different things. So mm-hmm. that thing you do, yeah, I, I think this is always just fun popcorn. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be anything more or less smart of Tom Hanks to direct something a little bit easier on his first time directing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something you really liked from that that you were getting to study a specific period and the music of the period and? Yeah, that was that was actually it was a really hard job, but it was rewarding. It was it was fun. Tom was a perfect gentleman, a great leader. Uh, you know, Gary Getzman, that was one Playtones, that was one of their first big productions. Um, and it was a very, very specific time. It was set before the Vietnam War, just before while America still had its in you know, innocence. And so this was back also in the days before the internet. So when we were doing Patterson's hardware store, appliance store, that was all found through collectors, people that collected Hoover vacuums and also their signage. <laughs> if you can believe wow. that. Yeah, we found people that, wow. did it, you know, and then we restored every appliance in there. We re-chromed it, repainted it, cleaned it by hand, you know, to make that. We shot that in Orange, uh, California, uh, to make that, that store what it was, you know. So, um and then as the story progressed, they went from city to city uh, as part of being part of the Playtone Galaxy. And we were basically like roadies. We would break down the set, uh, the cool. stage, we bring it to the next city, set it up. And, you know, we did that time and time again. So that was that was really fun and rewarding. And you saw it all on stage uh, on the screen, rather. And so that made you feel good. You really I think our, our dressing contributed to that movie. And, uh, and oh, it was yeah, just a fun movie. That's, I, you're like roadies. That's so cool. Did you, is that something like, is that a gig you think you could do? Because you're talking about how you like creating the space and the, like, I like to kind of know where people would take their skill into another aspect of entertainment or life. Do you think you could be a roadie? No, <laughs> I was offered, <laughs> I was offered to be a roadie actually for a, a band that I'd set up their equipment for on, um, strange days. Uh, oh, wow. I was an on-set dresser on Strange Days, and so we had taken over Broadway between 4th and 6th, 
and we had a band, a kind of a, a hard rock band uh, called Testament. And one of my gigs every day is when we'd set it up, I'd set up the drummer's kit. And he happened to be the same size as me, left-handed. And after the second day, their tour manager came up to me and goes, nobody's ever been able to set his kit up right. We want to bring you on the tour. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what do you pay? And they told me, and the, the money wasn't horrible. But you, right. you also had to take care of the, like, your guy's laundry and basically be at their beck and call. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a grown man. I can't do that at this point in my life. <laughs> so I had to pass. I didn't like their music either. Had it been the Eagles or somebody like that or a band I really liked, then yeah, then I might've gone and done a tour. I, I love it. <laughs> I know. Who doesn't want to be a roadie for like Led Zeppelin or, right. you know, yeah. other than their shenanigans off stage. I mean, I'm saying that you're not, yeah. Um, is uh yeah because i that's i asked you be, just taking a direct question because yeah. like a roadie is something i always wanted to be yeah i just discovered it too late in life mm -hmm. but i laugh that you turned it down because everybody i know that i've ever interviewed who's in a band or works with the musicians they're like you don't want to be a roadie yeah. so i guess i'll never know yeah. <laughs> um let's see oh, okay here's here's one yeah my favorite okay this is the most cliche question ever okay why why the art department ah well i kind of I, I kind of fell into it and then i think it really uh, long and short of it is, is i went to school in east texas uh stephen f austin state university went through a number of majors didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and i was a journalism major for a while and we had a class reviewing films and then i took over for the pine log which was our, our uh, school newspaper reviewing films and i really realized i loved films and i was you know I'd, I'd be the person that sit at the side at the end and watch the credits and try to figure out what a key grip did and what a best boy was and all those things and it was fascinating to me and i kind of told myself when i graduate i'm going to get into film didn't know how didn't know you know that, how that was going to work then after graduation i backpacked through europe for four months came home and that very week I'm living with my folks, don't really have any job prospects. And my dad said, oh, they're hiring uh, PAs for this movie, RoboCop 2. So, <laughs> yeah. So I went down there. I called them up, brought in my little resume that I'd built up, which had no real credits. And they basically said, no, not qualified. So I went back the next day and the next day. And after four or five days of going back, they finally said, okay, we're going to give you a job in the paint department. So I was basically a paint laborer slash PA. And from there, I met people and uh, spent about three years in Texas doing odd jobs. I gripped. I was a second AD. I was a driver. Uh, I was a painter. I did props. Uh, I did any, anything they asked me if I could do, I would just say yes, and then I'd figure it out. And um, I started gravitating my skills towards the art department. And... Um, and from there, a job led to another job, to another job, to another job. And uh, just found like, yeah, this is something I can be really good at. That's awesome. You kept going back. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so, man. Uh, you know, that's something that I, I feel like, I don't think it's an age thing, but I just, the, the, the last guess I had was just like, she got out of film school. She's a production designer. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me this story about how she would like always tell Jonathan Demi no. Hmm. And I was just like, why would you tell Jonathan Demi no? And she's like, stupid and 22. So yeah. I just love, I love hearing those stories where you don't really have the thought of, 
You're not overthinking, I guess, is the way to say mm. it. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. Thank you. Sure. Let's see. Uh, okay, Transformers. Yes. Um, you're this the art department. I'm I'm so intrigued to see how your vision, like CGI shots or effects shots, mm. because you're I like. Can you kind of break down the structure? Sure. Of, like this decision is part VFX supervisor, part production designer, right. part or mostly director, and then how does that trickle down to what you're doing if I watch a CGI shot okay. where you're, yeah. Okay, I think I can give a good uh, uh, illustration of this. So Transformers 4, um, here's, a, here's something the kids are going to hate to hear, but there's no real Transformers. They're not really there. <laughs> so in the case oh, of Optimus Prime, who, and I kind of missed that generation. I never played with Transformers as a kid. Um, I had to actually go out and get the toys and figure out who was who, who was a good guy and who was a bad guy. But in the case of uh, uh, the Transformers 4, we were in a barn in um, outside of Austin, Texas, which was uh, Cade's barn, um, played by Mark Wahlberg. And within his barn, we knew script-wise, and through what I'd worked with with the designer, that Optimus Prime was going to pop out of this hole in the ground, walk, run through the, or run through the barn, and exit. So I know from that, that Optimus is 28 feet tall. So what I did is, because he was never going to be there, I rigged a series of lights that his head could hit as he left. And I, I counted the strides of how long his strides would be so I could put breakaway items in his path. So it made sense. Oh, interesting. So we you know it's so it's a collaboration you know approximately how big he is what his action is going to be and then you work with the physical effects on set also with visual effects and it's a big collaboration so you're having to know where exactly it's going to be in blue screen green screen so well we didn't even they it's it's beyond that now i mean you don't really have to do blue screen um they would just they would do plate shots and then add him so, oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, unlike the Lakers project I'm doing now, you know, we have a part where we're recreating the forum. Well, you can't really recreate the forum, but you build it to a certain amount, and the rest is green screen, and that will be added by the visual effects department later. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool. I can't wait to see it when that's, it comes out. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have a, like, I'd say, let's see. Do you have a best lesson for yourself that you've gain from i don't know i guess since we we're just talking about transformers like mm-hmm. was there something you got from that that you knew you couldn't have got if you didn't do the transformers oh you well hopefully you learn a little bit from every project you do um yeah i would say transformers did really help me get a better grasp of what visual effects does and that's helped me to the current job i'm doing where we're doing a lot of visual effects uh, also doing Alice in Wonderland, you know, and different projects. You learn a little bit along the way. Uh, about like Tim Burton, right? Yeah. You've worked with so many great directors, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. Rob Reiner, mm-hmm. Soderbergh, Zemeckis, mm-hmm. Soderbergh and Zemeckis multiple times, yep. Burton. Is it like the way uh, for you? I mean, uh, is it for all departments? Cause I've met a lot of crew who like, uh, when I was on Kauai and working on an Alexander Payne mm-hmm. film, they did not care it was an Alexander Payne film. Right. So is there a, as opposed to a lot of us where we're just like, you know what, I'm going to go for that ride, regardless of the crappy PA pay me mm-hmm. or whatever, I'm just going to do it, right? Right. So uh, do you have, 
it, does that obviously apply or do, you, or do you still have to be like, I'm still going to look at the script. I'm still going to do this. It's cool. Rob Reiner is amazing, but I still want to read the story of us, not for obvious reasons, but like, like that sense, like an actor. Ah, it's, I think it's a little bit of a combo platter. You know, you do, you know, want to work with, uh, I, you know, directors you admire and production designers you admire and actors. So yeah, the package does matter. And the, the script too. You know, there's 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 been a few times I won't mention the films, but there's there's been some scripts that I have passed on, even though they had some good people. It's just like, ah, you know, this is a subject matter. I just don't want to spend a year of my life because you take it home with you. It, it you know, you think right. about it, you research it, you know, you live it for that long. And so there will be that on that occasion. But even sometimes when you feel like it might be somebody's, you know lesser work or lesser script there's still lessons that can be learned and techniques and you know in the end i'm also a big film fan so you know there's part of you that just wants to have these experiences and work with certain directors and so you you try to seize those moments when you can right well you it's it's cool here that you've gotten to do uh multiple films Mm -hmm. with were, were these I mean, the obvious one is you did Moonlight Mile, mm-hmm. you did Nebraska, and you did Downsizing. That's obviously all Faden. Uh, yeah. He came on the sh- he came on the show for Ford vs Ferrari. Mm. Is this the kind of thing where like a production designer takes you to the next job in some cases? Uh, a lot of times they will offer you the job, you know, but but a lot of it is based on timing. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, you know, like in the sometimes you you take a job and they say, you know what, you do this job for me, help me out, I get this other one coming. You know, this is really a good one. You know, like in the case oh, okay. of, uh, of downsizing, Clayton Hartley said this is a little budget movie, but I have a, you know, I had this Lakers project with Adam McKay that's going to be knock your socks off. So I was like, all right, let's do a twofer. You know, good. Um, oh, okay. Other times you kind of sometimes like when you go into a Michael Bay movie, you have to just be prepared for the Bayham. Because it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's a it's a grinder. It's a you know it's it, everybody's gritting their teeth, drinking Red Bull, and you know it's that kind of a it's a tough tough ride. Um, right. But you get to do some some really fun things that you don't usually do. So you know you have to you have to weigh all that. Well, pain and gain is so fun. Mm. But I, what you're saying about the Bayham, like all, any crew member as I've met from Pearl Harbor, yeah. If I ever bring it up, they're like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. <laughs> they're like, cool job. It was cool to recreate. Historical. Let's talk yeah. about something else. So Yeah. Interesting. So we've come to our time where we like to have some closing questions. Sure. I would love to know, what do you think is the biggest fallacy about the film business? People assume it's glamorous. Oh, okay. That I think is right. the biggest fallacy. They don't understand that yeah, you're working, you're at work at 6 a.m. in the morning, 14 hours a day, grinding. Um, right. I remember uh, Karen O'Hara, who uh, was the decorator on Alice in Wonderland, and she won Academy Award for that, and I was, you know, her lead on that. The morning after she won the Academy Award, I. Uh, she called me and I'd been texting her during the, the, the award ceremony. I thought she was just calling back to respond to that. She was calling me at 6.30 LA time to ask me where something was at a prop house. So this was, the, she was working. That's what we do. We go back to work. So it's not glamorous. It's, it's uh, we bring our lunch pail into work every day. I love it. 
Oh my gosh, that's great. Um, let's see. Do you have what like your favorite part of the film is the thing that gets you up in the morning? Um, the thing that gets me up every morning is uh, the opportunity to learn. Great answer. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, a, you're not talking bad about the department or anyone who does the department, but just that department's not for you. Mm. It's two that I can think of, but one, the one that always from the beginning is I never wanted to be an electrician. And just because I didn't know much about it and that it's big, heavy, it can kill you. Um, doesn't something I wanted, I wanted to mess with every day. <laughs> I like that. Just because you can burn down a hotel, no big deal, John. Yeah. <laughs> was was there another one that you wanted to mention? Well, production. Production is rough. You know, like a, being a production coordinator, the hours they work. Uh, you know, it's that is that is a grind. Being in an office all day. You know, that's that's I'd never want a job where I'd be in an office all day, and that's what they do. Well, yeah, production coordinators are Yeah, they get worked. They get worked. And then, let's see, do you have a genre, dream genre that you want to do before you hang up your art department Mm. gig? Mm. Gosh, you know what? I haven't done, I haven't done like a really big Western. I like to do a Western. And because I think... Most westerns, they don't quite get it right. Westerns were, you know, those were boom towns. They would be freshly built, and they're always aged and old, and that's not what they would be. So I'd like wow. to do one that would be, you know, with paint and fresh, and, you know, I think that would be a different take on the West. That I think we've incorporated John Fordism all the way through about how we design westerns. Well, now, what, how do you think that plays into that now? I couldn't see a, a Western going back to black and white. No, I'm so, not, so many of those films. Yeah, no, I'm not talking black and white. What I'm saying is that just there's the mythology is being created of what the West is supposed to look like, even though it, oh, okay. I think it's inaccurate. Interesting. Well, that pretty much uh, wraps up uh, for us. Okay. And we can um, send some people to your website. So if you want to give us that. Sure. That's, Great website, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. It's johnjbush.com. J-O-N-J-B-U-S-H.com. I, I really great website, actually. Oh, thank you. Like, kind of gave a whole nother layer, which I'm... Thank you so much. And we really appreciate your time. All right, Paul. Thanks so much. All right. That was a great episode with John Bush. He has experience as a set dresser, set decorator, lead man, production designer. Uh, The majority of his films that he mentioned can be found on Amazon Prime or within Amazon Prime. They're on Showtime, Cinemax, um, HBO. Uh, We didn't get into a really cool series he does called In Treatment, which I think was filmed during the pandemic. Well, that's going to do it for us. You know, my motto here at Talking Pictures, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, real conversation and movie-induced inspiration. 